Welcome to this podcast series, Magic and Mayhem, Discover the Secrets to Creating Magnificent Books for Kids and Teens. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on a journey that's set to inspire and enhance your own writing skills. Just download your free Magic and Mayhem ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre. In the next part of this series, we'll be focusing on YA, that's young adult, and we're kicking things off with none other than Veronica Roth. For those of you who don't know, Veronica wrote the hugely successful Divergent series, which has been turned into a series of blockbuster films. It was followed by Insurgent and Allegiant. When I spoke to her, Veronica's latest series had made its debut with Carve the Mark. The second book in the series, The Fates Divide, came out in 2018. Veronica was quite young when she was hit with the success of Divergent, and she had to learn a lot very quickly. But she has some great insights, and I think you'll enjoy this interview. Thanks so much for joining us today, Veronica. Thanks for having me. Now, I read your latest book on the weekend, Carved the Mark, and devoured it. Uh, But for those readers who haven't read the book yet, can you just give us a brief idea of what it's about? I will do my best. It's been difficult to summarize this one, but um, (laughs) it's about a young man named Akka who, um, along with his brother, is kidnapped and taken into an kind of enemy country. And while he's there, he meets a young woman named Syrah who has, you know, a, a great number of difficulties in her life. Yes. And they, uh, they kind of band together um, for the good of his, his brother, but, uh, you know, for various other reasons um, against her, her brother, who is the dictator of this, like, enemy country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in space. Yes, that is the thing. So, I mean, I got sucked in from chapter one. Now, it is in space, and I wanted to talk to you about that because (laughs) it is – you were taken – I lived the entire weekend in another world. So, this world has – is in space and it has different nations and languages and rituals and sovereigns and all with their own – you know, sometimes complicated way of ruling and living and diff- very different societal expectations, just as you would, you know, in, in our world, but it's not our world. But I'd like to talk to you about this other world because it plays such a big part in this in the story. Did you start off with the idea for um, the, what was going to happen in the book or did you start building the world in your head um, and go from there? You know, it was kind of everything at, at once. Um, so one thing makes the other thing work. In uh, I will explain. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> sure. um, originally, I, I had the very basic plot idea a long time ago when I was young, actually. Right. Um, just Akos' story. You know, he's taken away from his family. He finds that he oddly understands his enemies, the people who have taken him. And then he has to come back and see and find a way to relate, even though he's been through this trauma and had these uh, experiences they can't understand. So that kind of idea has fascinated me forever. And I think to a certain degree, that's also the story of divergence. So it's obviously Mm. a theme that I find very interesting. Um, So, so I had that in mind, but I kept trying to put his story in different settings. So I had 
high fantasy first, and then I tried urban fantasy, and then I tried sci-fi, and then uh, I went back to fantasy. And now the only way that it worked was this time. Um, wow. It's like 10 different versions of the story on my computer. <laughs> but Have this you... time it was, you know, it sci-fi worked. fantasy. And it, yes. It so did, did yeah. you write 10 different versions set in 10 different worlds? Well, no, just pieces. Um, so, yes but only the start, so the first 20 pages, the first 50 pages, and in the longest example, the first 300 pages, which, whoa, whoa was wow. hard to let go of. But oh I, never, I never finished, yeah, and it never really uh, worked before. And this is, you know, we're talking about high school and parts of college, so this is sure. a long time ago. But So yeah. when you wrote each of these versions, especially the 300-page version, did you – did it – each time were you following the same journey of, of ACOS? I was, yeah. Um, and I think part of the reason it didn't work before is because Cyro wasn't there. Mm. Um, part of what makes the story interesting to me is that it's these, these two people with two different perspectives on mm. – the situation between their cultures and their countries and their, and, you know, in their political situation. So, you know, she's insisting that he really is one of them and he's saying, no, like I get to decide, you know, what my identity is. And so it's just this source of tension between them, which um, will develop more in the next book. But yeah. So without both of them, it just, uh, it wasn't really like doing it for me. Um, And I couldn't hold my interest. So the um, you have some chapters told from the point of view of Akos and some chapters told from the point of view of Syra. What did you do to switch hats? Because they are, you know, one, I mean, one's male, one's female. <laughs> they are from right. different um, enemy nations. So what did you do to get into their minds? Well, I I think like with a lot of writers, but maybe more than some, um, I really struggle with changing voices. And Mm. to me, they always sound more different than they actually sound, you know, to (laughs) other people. Um, And so that's something that I I struggled with a lot. But with Akos, I mean, I tried to keep his in first person, Mm. but it didn't work um, because he was kind of like constantly pushing me out. That's how it felt anyway. Just Mm. like I couldn't get in there right. Um, and I think part of that is that his character is so, like, is defined frequently as being very wary um, and kind of guarded. And that's his current gift, too. I mean, we see that part of his psychology expressed in his kind of ability to push out um, these supernatural forces in the, the universe. Mm. So writing it in third person was what made it work for me. And he also, uh, I thought about their kind of class differences. They're both people who come from privileged backgrounds, but that means something different to both of them. So, um, you know, he's from this like kind of low class city in, in Thuba, his country. And she is, you know, the very, at the very top of the social strata in, in Shotet. So, um, she, you know, hopefully has more formal diction than him, um, and I tried to keep that in mind too. Mm. So, and when you are building these worlds of Shotet and the other, you know, nations and and the the customs that they have, how did you keep track of all the different <laughs> things in the world and the different characteristics that each nation was supposed to have? 
Did you have some kind of planning board? Like on a practical level, how did you do it? Did you have like lots of post-its? Did you write out entire, you know, histories of worlds? How, how did that happen? Well, I'm not, um, I'm not big into like very formally written descriptions. Um, I just take a lot of notes. So I use Scrivener. Have you mm-hmm. ever used that? Yeah, I love Scrivener. Mm. Yeah, Scrivener is great. And you can, you know, you can create all kinds of documents and you can save pages and you can, you know, do all kinds of things. So that's mostly how I keep track because I create like a, a series of documents that no one else would be able to understand because they're just gibberish. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, they help me keep it straight. Yeah, um, for but sure. But it helps to have a couple guiding principles for each one, you know, um, I think in the book itself, I list what each country kind of worships as a way of defining it. So for the Shotet, it's the current, and for Thuva, it's the ice flowers. So to me, that was like a way of keeping them separate. Mm. Um, So things like that kind of helped me to remember, you know, like these people are about this series of things. (laughs) These people are not, you know, and they're more. So they're they're distinct. They take pride in how distinct they are from each other. Now, when you, I understand that you wrote Divergent while on your, according to Wikipedia anyway, (laughs) while on your winter break in your senior year at Northwestern University. Is that true? Um, Kind of. I mean, (laughs) yes. I wrote a huge portion of it over winter break, most of it. Uh Um, The original draft for Divergent was 45,000 words, so more than half you know so it's a uh, thing i wrote it all over winter break it's like how did, did you sleep did you eat <laughs> like yes i did um i did write it fast but that was the rough draft and uh it just grew from there but um you so, know i my parents were on vacation and my friends hadn't come back from school yet so i was just sitting there watching veronica mars and, <laughs> and writing manuscripts <laughs> so take me back to when you wrote it. Uh, did you um, it, it, imagine it was going to be such a phenomenal success? Oh, no. <laughs> no. I mean, no. I thought when I was done with it, I was like, oh, let's, let's see what I can do with it. Mm. Um, and that was as far as my imagination for it went. I mean, I, I love writing, so... And I knew how young I was, you know, so I was fully prepared to write multiple manuscripts that never went anywhere. Um, but it just didn't end up that way. You know, I, I feel like I, it was good timing, but also, you know, a little bit of luck. So. so tell us about the process of getting that published. What exactly were the steps that you took to get Divergent uh, until Divergent got accepted? Well, um, you know, the, the first thing I think was figuring out what I wanted. So there's different ways to be published. Mm. Um, and I, I figured may as well go for it. So I went, I decided, you know, a big publisher in the U S would be great. Mm. So we'll see, <laughs> see if that works. And in order to do that, you really need an agent. So then, yep. you know, I looked into how to get an agent, um, and wrote my query letter and sent it out into the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I met my agent originally at a writer's conference, and I pitched my first manuscript to her, which was not Divergent. She agreed to read it, but then ended up rejecting it. Um, <laughs> and I sent her Divergent next. So um, so I met her there, and, uh, mm-hmm. and she loved Divergent. So it was all, I mean, and then we revised it together and sent it to, she sent it to 
um, editors that she knew might like it. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, that's how it came together. It's kind of fast from that point on. How fast after she sent it out did you get a, a call? And do you remember what you were doing when you got the call? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, it, was, it was four days. Four um, days? Yeah, it was like she oh sent it at the end of a week. So my, you know, Molly O'Neill, who became my editor for Divergent, um, read it over the weekend and then uh, called Joe on my agent on a Monday. So that was, it was so, I mean, I was not, <laughs> I was not ready. No. So um, when she called me, I was... <laughs> right next to the dumpsters in my apartment building um, because that was like a quiet place to take a phone call. And I was also like leaving the building okay. the time um, to go do something on campus. Anyway, so I'm like, you know, crouched next to a big garbage can that was <laughs> when I got that call. So, you know. <laughs> really? Oh, and yeah. Wow. Okay. So obviously um, – uh, they wanted Divergent. At that time, well, when you were writing Divergent, did you already have the subsequent books, Insurgent and Allegiant, in mind when you wrote it? Or did that come, did those stories come later? I think it's kind of both at once. Um, like I knew where the story might go and I have an idea mm. for the ending of this whole series. But I also wanted to be flexible because I've heard that's a good thing to be with publishers. (laughs) So I was like, well, it could end here or it could be these three books, whichever ends up working. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, you know, they wanted the rest because I I do think it's, I mean, the first book, it's not quite a cliffhanger, but it's definitely not resolved. Mm -hmm. So I think I was kidding myself a little bit Mm. thinking it could just stand alone. (laughs) Mm. And so I understand that you sold the film rights for the book even before the book came out. Can you tell us about that process? Did you know that your agent was going to, you know, see if people would be interested in making it into a film? Did you ever anticipate that it was going to be made into a film? Well, I knew that. um, So I, I, uh, Julia Shabazian is my film rights manager and he works with my agent at the same company. So, um, I knew he was going to take it and see, you know, see what he could do with it. But, you know, like even if a film studio buys the rights to your work, that doesn't mean that they're going to make it. So yeah. even when the rights sold, I wasn't, you know, I didn't let myself be that excited. I was like, yep. yeah, that's great. And, um, it will certainly be good in certain ways, but that doesn't mean anything. Yep. <laughs> so, um, Puya and I had a joke the whole way through which was that we were, we would only let ourselves celebrate on the way to the premiere because up until that point <laughs> anything can happen. Okay, <laughs> so sure. On the way to the on the way to the premiere, I was like, "Puya, can we celebrate now?" And he's like, "Yes, <laughs> finally." <laughs> now, both Divergent and Carve the Mark are kind of like coming of age stories. You've written for um, young adult audience. What is the Having said that, though, what's interesting is when Diver- after Diversion came out, I remember I catch planes a lot on the business route between on the eastern seaboard of Australia, and there was a period where every you know, and they're full of business people. There was a period where every plane I was on, there were multiple business people 
reading Divergent. <laughs> so oh, obviously, obviously, it's uh, I mean, obviously, it's way more than a young adult audience, but it, essentially, it's a it's a wire book. Um, what appeals to you about about that audience? Oh man, well. Um... I, I don't know. So I do know. I have a lot to say about this, which is Go why on. I'm suddenly getting um, stymied by my own thoughts. But um, I think it's a really exciting period of life, first mm-hmm. of all. I mean, it's high drama. Everything you experience feels like the biggest thing on earth because for you, it really is. You know, you're, you feel like an adult, but you're not quite an adult yet. Um, you have a lot of first-time things, a lot of like very intense struggles in friendship and relationships. Mm. So it's just, it feels like a really fertile ground for stories. But also I think there's something specifically about young women that compels me. So certainly I love that young men or other people read my work. You know, anyone who wants to read it, it's of course like, you know, well, like welcome, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, um, when I think about who I'm writing for, it's for young women, because I think it's really easy to dismiss women at that age. Um, and it happens all the time and it really sucks. <laughs> so yeah. I just really didn't want to be one of those people. I think, um, you know, I write about young men when I was that age, because that's what you do. Mm. Uh, as a woman, you learn how to identify with male stories um, and if you're lucky, you find something that speaks to you, you know, like uh, I did with Judy Bloom or um, a bunch of other authors, but um, just not as many, you know, not as many adventure stories or, or genre fiction. Mm. Um, so I guess I just wanted to write something that teenage me would like. Mm. Um, when, yeah. when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Um, well... I remember when I started writing, uh, I was like 11 or 12 and my mom, she didn't let us say that we were bored. That was like a huge no, no in our house. So she'd get us these kits, you know, like build a, like a functioning fan, <laughs> like, that kind of stuff, like science kits or like, like just, you know, things to occupy us. And one of them was a make your own book kit. And I think it was the first time it occurred to me that I could write things down. And so I, I started to, and then I switched to a computer because it's easier. Um, and it was at that point that I just started writing all the time. And I didn't think about being a writer, you know, I didn't think about being a writer. I just Mm -hmm. wrote a lot. Um, and it wasn't until maybe high school or college that I thought, you know, people do get paid for this. (laughs) So it's possible that it could work. So what were you writing at high school? Were you writing short stories or, or just scenes or, or, or entire books? What what were you writing at, in, when you were younger? Well, I never finished anything, but I was always writing books. Um, right. I find short stories very difficult. <laughs> so mm. I, uh, I never gravitated toward them, you know, initially. Mm. But, um, yeah, I was writing mostly uh, – kind of lord of the rings ripoffs i guess early on um like with elves and all kinds of things because <laughs> you kind of you start out by imitating you know like that's a pretty yeah. normal i think place to to start as a young writer you want to um you're figuring it out by kind of like playing in someone else's sandbox i guess which is why i think fan fiction is so great because you're taking something that already exists so you don't have to do 
every little bit of work, but you do get to play around with your writing and be creative, and that's great. Did you write fan fiction? I didn't, no. I didn't even know that was a thing that people were allowed to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so tell us about um, the process, the creative process of writing this, the, the latest book, Carve the Mark. Now, you already had obviously the idea brewing in your head from when you were younger. So that was taken care of. But when you were ready to write this final, well, you know, this version of it, the version that was going to end up being, that is being published. Right. Um and you had to sit down and actually produce a manuscript. Can you tell us about your writing pro- uh, writing routine or, or your creative process? Like, do you think I need to wake up and have a cup of tea and then immerse myself in this world and then write 2,000 words? Like, what's kind of some kind of structure to your day if there is any? I am structureless. I would say. So I'm definitely not a routine person. I try to write once a day. That's kind of my rule for myself. But if it doesn't work out, I'm not I'm not too fussed about it. But um, I write better at night. So mm. that's great for my social life. Not really. Yes. Um, everyone else gets back from work and I'm like, nope, I'm starting. Um, so what do you do and- during the day? Man, I don't even know. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, there's right now there's plenty of other work to do. Um, Yes, of course. You know, answering emails and signing things and and kind of like brainstorming. I think happens in the afternoon for me, like while walking the dog or going for a run or whatever. So I do fill my days with things. Just (laughs) I do my days in reverse. Like if other people relax in the evening before bed, I relax in the morning and then get to work in the afternoon and continue into the night. So generally that's how it works, but I'm also just determined to be flexible. So sometimes I wake up and I start writing right away because I know that I have things to do later. So Yeah. So do you have a, a word count target or a chapter target or something like that? I tried to have a word count target, but then I found that I would uh, avoid the scenes that were stressing me out by just like writing a lot in one scene <laughs> makes sense you know like I'm, I'm just gonna make just like tread water here for you know a thousand words so oh, that I can fun. avoid the stressful thing so <laughs> I can't do that um I split it up by scenes and I try to get through um at least one a day and if not you know if they're shorter then I'll do more than one but yeah yeah do you know what's going to happen are you a plotter now I am. I didn't oh, used to be. Okay. Yeah. You mean Divergent with, was like. Yeah, Divergent. What was, well, that wasn't plotted? No. I mean, so I had a kind of loose idea of where it was going, but I had no idea how it would end. And I ended up writing the ending like a few times because I couldn't figure out yeah. how to, you know, bring it to a conclusion. But then each subsequent installment became more and more planned out until now Carve the Mark was definitely just outlined, you know, beginning to end. And then the second Carve the Mark book, whatever it will be called, Mm. is like such a detailed outline. It's like 25 pages of outline. Really? And wow. So why do you think you've developed into that? Is it, and do you enjoy it more or less? Um, You know, I think I did it out of necessity, you know, because when you're writing to a deadline, you can't just like wander around for 
four months while you're figuring <laughs> out what comes next, which is how it used to work when it wasn't my job. Mm. Um, you know, when I was a student, so I had plenty of other things to do and I didn't have to write, um, if it wasn't working or I didn't have to work on one thing in particular, but now, you know, <laughs> got to get it done and it's for work. So, um, mm. I've let it become like more practical, more of a job for me. And so to a certain extent, like, no, I don't, I don't like it more. Um, I like that feeling of discovery, mm. but I've been able to find it inside of the outline. So, you know, something, sometimes things still surprise you. You have to change the outline um, or something and turns out differently than you expected or, you mm. know, so. And because the Divergent series was so ridiculously successful and popular, what have you, have you felt pressure for this next series of books? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I have. how have you dealt with that? I try, I try not to think about it um, because that's paralyzing. And <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like every, every writer knows about that internal editor that you need to silence in order to take risks and get get going really mm. and so that's a daily exercise for me just letting go of um like the constant critiquing and letting it be flawed and so the way I deal with it is just by falling back on I mean it sounds silly but um my mother just constantly when I was young would say like just just do the best you can that's all you can do mm. um that was like the mantra of my school life mm -hmm. and so we never got yelled at for bad grades as long as it had been clear that we had tried mm -hmm. and that I think took root deep in my brain because when I was writing Carve the Mark, I occasionally would get very nervous about, you know, how it would be received. And then I'd always return to that. Just do the best you can. Um, that's all you can do. So. Yeah. Remember that first manuscript that you sent to the agent that she rejected before she then decided she loved Divergent? Um, yes. What, what happened to that? It is locked away somewhere where no one will ever see it. Really? <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, oh. really. <laughs> All right. Are you, are you sure it's not good? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's not that the writing was terrible. The writing was competent, but, mm. um, like, the characters, not so great, and then the whole story, I don't even, ugh. I'm sure there's something to rescue from it, so I might reread it. <laughs> someday and try and figure out what to what to save and what to get rid of but yeah um, in its current form it's yeah it was just a great exercise in learning how to finish a story for me yeah sure have you been tempted to mm -hmm. write for other age groups or, or have you written for other age groups um you know not not yet not really I um I feel pretty comfortable in young adults and find a lot of value and freedom in it so Mm. Um, to me, that's where I'd like to stay. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what I'll do later in life. <laughs> there's, hopefully <laughs> there's plenty of time to figure that yes. out, but for now I'm pretty content. Yeah, of course. Now you're still, um, it's, it, you wrote Divergent when you were, well, you know, it's a few years ago now and not that much mm -hmm. older from, you know, being young adult, um, to stay in this 
world where you your characters are at that period in life where it's a series of firsts and where they are coming of age do you, is there anything do you need to do any research or or remind yourself of what it was like to be at that time or hang out with younger people or or whatever how, how do you you know capture that that feeling so well well it doesn't hurt to actually interact with them and I get to do that on a regular basis thankfully um, because of events for Divergent so Mm. there's that but also um, I say this I say this to my husband a lot that you have to have grace for your younger self so you have to be able to look back on your past experiences with fondness instead of judgment I think a lot of people can get very embarrassed by how they things Mm. they said or did when they were young and for me that's what helps me to remember so clearly what it was like to be that age is by looking, actually letting myself um, look back at what it was like and what it felt like and the things I went through. It, sorry, my nose is suddenly getting stuffed up. Um, no, it's fine. Yeah. So for me, that's, that's kind of how I've been keeping it working, like trying to be honest with myself about where my mind really was, you know, not trying to paint my youth with like a, a rosy kind of tint, but also, you know, being kind yes. <laughs> to myself, even though I did some very silly things. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people have responded so positively? And so why do you think it's resonated with them, your book so far? Oh, man, I um, I feel like the... I'm the least capable person of answering that question. I know way. other people can uh, obviously look at it very analytically, but I'm keen. I'm keen to just get your take on it, just to, you know, if you if you have one. Well, I I don't know. I think really it must be character based. When I love stories that much, it's mm. only because the characters stuck with me. So a lot of other things can be interesting in a story, but um, but character is what like keeps me reading a series yeah so if everyone else is like me that's why um and I think Tris is kind of I mean she's a very flawed person and Mm. um but you but you root for her so I think at the end of the day that's probably what it's related to I definitely think that people are interested in sorting themselves into categories though (laughs) it's obviously something that fascinates me Mm. um and it's present in a lot of stories, especially, you know, most notably like Harry Potter. Mm. But, uh, but so that's probably part of it too. What faction are you, you know, find your people, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so um, have you, are you currently writing the second book in the Calf the Mark series, whatever that's going to be called? I am. Have you finished? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, no, I'm like halfway through, so. Right. Okay. So, and I know some authors um, actually write multiple books at the same time or have a couple of books going at the same time. Are you focusing mainly on this or have you already thought out the one after that? Well, I kind of play with ideas um, so I don't forget them. So I'll, I'll write out like outlines or little paragraphs about something that I thought of that is interesting, but I really only work at one on one thing at a time. So mm-hmm. I really admire those people who can work on more than one thing. And I'm super jealous of them because mm. I think that would be a great 
uh, skill to have, but I'm just, you know, I need to be like fully immersed. Otherwise I get lost. Yep. Sure. So Divergent is set kind of like in a dystopian Chicago, but it is still mm-hmm. on earth. <laughs> it's Chicago. And as we've mentioned, Carve the Mark is uh, these whole other worlds, which, uh, you know, I, and I, like I said, I did get lost. I got taken into this other world, which strangely enough was really realistic because of the the little things because of the 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 flowers or the potions or the or the customs or whatever that you described what and i actually sat there sometimes thinking wow how did she even think of that <laughs> what inspired all of these little things that made up the world how did you you know i i guess i don't have that kind of imagination what 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 was it what was behind it for you? Well, um, I think when I think about Divergent uh, and, you know, what I would change if I did it again, mm. that's one of the things that I think about, just the detail of world building and thinking those things through beforehand. Um, it was something that I kind of wish I'd known how to do better. And really the only way that you can learn how to do it is by doing it, which is mm. horrible, um, mm. you know. There's no, like, guidebook to building a universe. Um, there's a couple helpful guides, I would say, but, like, on the internet and stuff. But um, so I, I was just determined to do it, I think. And then I, um, I'm, I married someone who was very detail-oriented, so mm. he's constantly pointing things out in the world around us. Like, especially with kitchen supplies for some reason. Kitchen <laughs> um, supplies. Yeah, he's got a passion for glassware. I don't, I don't understand uh, where it comes okay. from, but it's it's really great. So over the, you know, there are a couple of scenes in the kitchen. <laughs> no, but um, you know, for the five years that we've been married, he's kind of taught me how to see things in a new way, and he finds, um, he finds like ugly things beautiful, and he helps me to like rediscover the world around me. Um, I don't want to get like sappy, but that's, you know, the truth. So when I was thinking about world building in this, I would just like force myself to slow down and kind of look around and try to think, you know, don't take anything for granted. Like why, why do they have to like, why do we eat on plates? Like why do we use forks? Why do we shape our vehicle the way we shape? Like what if there was a world where they didn't have these, uh, these things we take for granted as like the way things inevitably turn out, you know, like, um, I, I'm sorry, I'm not, I feel like I'm not expressing this very well, no, no, you are. But, uh, but I think technology forms partly because of a person's priorities or a culture's priorities. So if you have a culture with a different set of priorities, mm. then technology will change. Yes. And, um, and I learned that partially when we were living in Romania, uh, right after we got married, mm-hmm. we lived there for five months. And, um, you know, because of like resources in the country and because of, um, just like limited availability of certain things, they've had to get really creative with the way that they, uh, do like security systems and, you know, uh, heating, like there's a big hot water heater in the apartment where we lived and it did both the heat for the apartment and also for the, you know, sinks and stuff. So it was this like little system they made it smaller and smaller, but I've never seen something like that in the States. So I, it got me thinking, I guess, 
about, yeah. you know, these cultures and, and what they would value the most and where they would focus their priorities. Yeah. Why were you living in Romania? Um, <laughs> adventure, mostly. Okay. <laughs> my, uh, my husband's aunt and uncle have lived there for 15 years working in the arts and theater community in Cluj okay. in Transylvania. So we went to go be with them for okay. a while. Wow. And uh, yeah, go on an right. adventure. So when you are immersed in this world and also a story that you're writing, like as you are now with the second book, um, mm -hmm. it, it, I know that a lot of authors literally live and breathe it until the, until the end, until it's out, and, and then, you know, potentially they kind of miss it. But uh, do you live and breathe it and, and do you have time to – or are you able to switch off? Do you have time to relax, like, and, and not even think about – the book that you're writing? Um, I'm working on that. I think <laughs> that is probably an important skill for mental health and the good yes. of everyone around you. <laughs> but yes. I'm not so good at it. No, I'm definitely more of a live and breathe it kind of person. Wow. Okay, so what do you yeah. do? Do you do things to relax? <laughs> I, I try. Like, do you have yeah, hobbies? <laughs> I, I do. I, I run a lot um, and cycle, and uh, I did kickboxing for a while, although I had to stop because of my shoulder. Um, oh. So there's that, that part of things. But mm -hmm. um, yes, there's, a combat, there's a bit of a combat theme in, <laughs> in your writing as well. I'm, I'm clearly obsessed with it. Uh, yeah, so I finally did kickboxing because I was like, you've loved this your whole life. You should go try it. And it was awesome. Uh-huh. Um, I hope to get back to it once I figure out this shoulder problem, but mm -hmm. um, it was great. I think the probably the combat stuff in Carbs and Mark is more realistic than Divergent because I had learned a lot more at that point. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. What's the most rewarding thing about writing? Um, oh, my. Well, uh, I kind of have two, two answers to this. Mm -hmm. To me, the most rewarding part is the process of it. Like, I love mm. revising. Um, I'm not a big first drafter because then you've got to make a lot of mistakes and just move on. And that's hard for me, but I love finding the character, finding the story that you really meant to tell. Um, and that kind of you built as you went along without realizing it and helping it to come out, um, you know, more clearly and more compellingly than you did the first time. So that's, I mean, to me, that's the whole reason to do it. Um, but I also have discovered something I didn't, I didn't know that I would love so much, which is um, seeing the way that young people connect to the story. So I think this is why I'm so determinedly writing for young adults, because this is such a valuable part of the process for me. It's not um, getting their acclaim for it, you know, or their praise for it. It's yeah. seeing what they pull out of the story as important, what they care about the most, um, and the things that they realize about their own lives, you know, that are sparked by like the reading. So I get letters from them and I talk to them in person and it's such a huge part of what makes it, uh, I don't know, what makes it rewarding for me that I just didn't, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit socially anxious, but I didn't know that I would like that as much as I do. Wow. Have some of the things that they've pulled out of it been surprising to you? Sometimes. Yeah. I, uh, I can't think of a specific example, but, mm -hmm. um, Oh, I guess um, I got a really heartbreaking letter once from someone who had experienced 
like a similar kind of abuse to what uh, Tobias experiences in Divergent. Yep. And this person was just telling me how helpful it was to see a young man go through that and still be presented as like a strong person. Um, mm. And I, I like, I mean, I just like sobbed over this letter mm. because I hadn't thought about it. Um, I, you know, when I thought about it, it was like, oh God, I hope this is doing justice to this like really, you know, difficult experience and not treating it flippantly. So that was my only goal really. Um, mm. But to hear that it resonated with that one person was like uh, incredibly meaningful and, and it was surprising because I was sure that I hadn't, um, that I had failed Wow. in some way. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's very moving. Um, so what is one of the most challenging things about writing? What do you find I, one of the most challenging things about writing? Oh, man, just letting go of that voice that's like, you're messing up, don't do that. Like, this isn't working. It's never going to be good enough. Um, you know. Sure, of course. <laughs> yes, just, we all go through that. Every, all right. <laughs> Sorry, go I on. I know, that internal editor, they are terrible. <laughs> yes. What's then, finally, what's your advice for aspiring writers who hope to be in a position where you are one day, you know, with successful books, some of them maybe in, in made into films? but, you know, certainly published? Oh, um, hmm. Well, I, I think it's all about having this tension of, of humility and, like, self-advocacy. So um, mm. you have to believe in your story, but you also have to believe that it can be better. And it's a, it's a weird balancing act, I think. But um, if you're in love with the process of writing and you're committed to being a better writer with each story that you write then, but you're also like uh, aware of your strengths, um, then you can advocate for your book without being stubborn. And mm. it's, a, you know, it's a little trial and error. Like I bounce back and forth like a pendulum um, all the time still. Um, but, uh, you know, I do believe in my, in my work. Um, I also believe in, in myself and my capacity to get better. So yeah. I try to listen to feedback, but if it doesn't resonate, then I let it go. Wonderful. Well, you're obviously doing something right, Veronica. So on that note, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love all in a couple of hours a week you'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing find out more at writercenter.com.au slash children's author I think Veronica is so right about that balance, being able to receive feedback, but also to know your own strengths and what you should defend in your writing. It's probably the hardest thing to get right. It takes most writers years to know when to yield and when to push back. You don't want to be stubborn, but you also don't want to be a pushover. It's your story in the end. 
But Veronica has obviously had wonderful success. It was interesting to hear how that early success affects her current writing. She still has that imposter syndrome, that inner critic, but tries to ignore it. And now that she has to write to a deadline, she finds she needs to plot more. There's no one way to write a book, that's for sure. And everyone's process, including yours, will change over time, depending on your circumstances. If you want to find your own writing community, then go to writercentre.com.au and sign up to receive our weekly newsletter. That's writercentre.com.au. If you want to connect with me personally, just reach out on Instagram at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, or on Facebook. You can also find me on Facebook in our regular podcast group. So just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free and I'll see you in there because we do have another podcast, which is weekly, and it's called So You Want To Be A Writer, where we interview authors and talk about all things to do with writing and publishing.